There were two businessmen who were seated together at a two-day conference. And as each speaker was droning on and on about the insurance business, one guy turned to the next and said, Do you have to stay here till the bitter end? Another guy said, I am the bitter end. (laughs) Well, I tell you, these uh, summer series are high pressure enough as they are. It's a one-shot deal. But when you're last, it's uh, an intimidating sermon, especially since all I've heard since I've been here is this is the best one we've ever had. And I hope it will not come to a bitter end tonight. Did you know those words that we just sang together, and words you've sung the last two months on Wednesday nights, were written in 1898? Can you believe that? We've come to measure time now as before COVID and after COVID. Well, these words were written before the Spanish flu. And think about how they still soar in our hearts as we think about higher ground. They were written by a man who also wrote the words to count your blessings and know not one. And as is often the case with these older hymns, he was a preacher. And he wrote words to this song to go with a sermon, as you can guess, which was on Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14. You find that a lot with those old hymns. Preachers had a special Sunday coming, and they had a special sermon, and so they wrote a hymn to go with the sermon. Can you imagine the song leader texting Roger on Wednesday saying, Roger, I got singing this Sunday. You got any songs that'll go with your sermon? And Roger replying, oh, I'm writing one. No, I got it. We're good. I'll I'll write a new song and we'll sing it and it'll go with the sermon. Well, that's what he did with Higher Ground. And all of his songs that he wrote were to give people not just the thought of knowing Jesus, but knowing Him more deeply. And that's the case with our great hymn for tonight. Not just being with the Lord, but growing and maturing and reaching greater heights until ultimately we're face to face with Him. And to illustrate this journey that you've been on for the last two months and that all of us as God's people have to be on, Lord, lead me on. I'm pressing on. I want to illustrate that by another journey we find in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. I want to invite you to Hebrews chapter 11, which just the mention of that reference brings your, to your mind all of those great acts of faith of men and women of the Old Testament. As we make our way through the chapter, we find those that we know a lot about and then those we know very little about. For instance, we come to verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. 
that's, that's all the writer had to go with because that's about all that's revealed. I mean, here's a, a Bible character who is both introduced and then killed off in the very same chapter in Genesis chapter 4. And so he really couldn't say much more about Abel than that. Same with Enoch in the very next verse. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and was not found because God took him up. That's all he had to go with. Enoch walked with God and God took him. So that's all there is to say about him in the chapter. And even Noah in chapter 7, even though we have several chapters about him, they all have to do with the ark and the flood, and so that's all he talks about Noah. But then we come to verse 22. By faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. And you might be tempted to think when you read that, well, there just must not be much about Joseph. We must not know very much about him because all it says is something that happened as he was dying. But you know better than that, don't you? You know there's a wealth of information about Joseph. So much so that his story begins in Genesis 37 and goes all the way to the end of the book in chapter 50. Think of all the material that the Hebrew writer could have used to describe the faith of Joseph. Think about all we know about him. He's one of our favorite characters. We relate to him. We name our sons after him. Why? Because we've experienced the things that Joseph has. Anybody here tonight ever had a problem with your own family? That people couldn't even speak to one another? Joseph did that. Anybody here ever had somebody accuse you of doing something you didn't do? And no matter how much you protested, they didn't believe you. Anybody been there? Joseph did that. Anybody had their life's dreams just come crashing down? The, the plan you had, the direction you were going to go, and it just all crumbled to pieces. Joseph was there. But he doesn't talk about any of that. By faith, Joseph, as he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. I want to invite you on a journey tonight. It's the journey of Joseph's bones. But what they do is set the stage for our journey to higher ground. Our journey through the twists and turns and disappointments. Our journey through temptation. And ultimately our journey that will not end till heaven I've found. I want you to notice three things about this journey as they're given to us 
through Joseph's, Joseph's bones. Number one, this is a journey that begins with the aim of higher ground. So a journey that starts realizing this isn't our final destination. This is not where we're going to be forever. And I want you to see that's what Joseph's dying wish revealed. Well, why would Joseph, who is essentially here dying as the vice president of Egypt, second in command, who's risen to such power and authority, why would he want to return to a place he hadn't been to since he was 17? A place where his brothers hated him and couldn't speak to him on friendly terms. A, pra- a place where they were going to kill him, but instead sold him into slavery to the Ishmaelites. Why would he want to go back there? Because that was the promised land. That was the land God had sworn to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so I want you to see that Joseph realized that though I'm dying here in Egypt, this will not be my final resting place. I have a destination I've yet to reach. You know how the book of Genesis begins. In fact, I remember as a boy playing Trivial Pursuit with one of my friends from school. And he was not a churchgoer. And one of the questions was, name the first three words of the Old Testament. And he thought for a minute and said, welcome to the Old Testament. He didn't know. But you know what they are in the beginning. But do you know how the book of Genesis ends in chapter 50? Let's look there. Genesis chapter 50. These are the dying words of Joseph. Genesis 50, and we'll start reading at verse 22. Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons, also the sons of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born on Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which was promised on oath to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you and shall carry your bones up from here. So Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. Joseph knew that God had promised something better for his people. That they were not going to be in the land of Goshen forever. God had made a covenant all the way back in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 7 where He said to Abraham, to your descendants I will give this land. 
And he had already shown his faith in God by taking his father Jacob, who had died, and burying him in the cave of Abraham and Isaac. But with his dying breath, he says to his family, when God brings us out of Egypt to take us to the land he has sworn, you carry my bones with you. You see, even Joseph understood. This is going to be a while. My body, which is dying, is going to turn into bones. But you carry them. And you bury them. On higher ground. This isn't my final destination. You believe that about this earth? We're not meant to stay here forever. That we're not permanent residents in this foreign land. We're in exile. This is not our home. We're just passing through. We have the aim before us of higher ground. And so we're not going to live like the rest of the world. And we're not going to build ourselves places that imply we're going to stay here forever. This is just temporary. Our citizenship is in heaven. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. Several years ago, I was asked to do a wedding that was going to be out in the country, outside of the big city. And I learned that everybody in the wedding party, all the groomsmen and the groom, were all going to be wearing boots. And so I thought, well, I need to get me a new pair of boots. Now, I'm sure you thought everybody from Texas already has boots. Well, I wanted some dress boots. And so I went to Cavender Boot City and uh, walked in, and it was just all these strange colors, and I didn't know what in the world I was doing, and... Finally, one of the workers came over and he said, "Uh, Sir, are you buying for yourself? And I thought, well, that was a strange question. I said, yeah, I'm in this wedding and I need some boots to match the wedding party. And he said, well, let's come out of the ladies section and let's go over here and we'll find you some, some boots to buy. See, I was out of place. I didn't belong there. And it showed It was obvious. That's the way it's got to be for the Christian. We're not trying to fit in here. We're trying to be salt and light. We want people to notice us. Not so that they'll praise our good works, but that they'll see God in us and glorify our Father which is in heaven. We're on a journey where our aim is higher than this world. We're not meant to stay here forever. Joseph understood that about his bones. Let it be as we make our journey to the land sworn to the faithful. A little boy asked his mother to describe heaven. He was trying to wrap his mind around heaven. And she said, well, you know how sometimes you've been playing outside all day long and you come in and you're just worn out and you lay down on the couch and you fall asleep. 
But she said, when you wake up in the morning, you're in your bed. She said, that's kind of what heaven's like. You go to sleep here, and you wake up where you belong. We don't belong here. We're on a journey. Lord, lead me on to that great destination until heaven I found. This is a journey that we're on, number two, where doubts arise and fears dismay. Now, remember, those words were written in 1898. As much as we like to think our world is different or more wicked or it's never been as evil as it is now, I want you to see that according to Johnson Oatman Jr. in 1898, there were fears and doubts all around and Satan's darts were being hurled about just like they are today. And you know what? They were also on the journey of Joseph's bones. Look at his request again and see if this doesn't sound odd to you. In verse 25, Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you. The ESV has, will surely visit you. And the NIV says, will come to your aid. Well, why would Israel need to be visited or taken care of or need aid? I mean, I thought they were in good favor with the Egyptians. Remember, Joseph was beloved because he had interpreted the Pharaoh's dreams and helped them to store up during the seven years of plenty. And so when the seven years of famine came, they were provided for. And, and when Joseph brought his family, those 70 people from Canaan, to live in the land of Goshen, they took care of them. But that Pharaoh was also going to die like Joseph. And there would arise another one who did not know Joseph and would see this growing, thriving Israel nation as a threat. They could overtake us. And so these shepherds became slaves. And then they became hard taskmasters over them. And then he started taking their baby boys and murdering them. And God heard their cry. And God took care of them. He visited them. He came to their aid and sent a deliverer to bring about a great exodus. God will surely take care of you. Well, how could Joseph know that? How could Joseph be so sure that God would look after His people? Because he had seen that in his own journey. That had happened in his own life. 
Look back to Genesis chapter 39 at four phrases that are used in just this one episode of Joseph's life, which gave him the confidence that God would be with them. Genesis 39 and verse 2. And the Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. Verse 3, Now his master saw that the Lord was with him, and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. Verse 21, But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. Verse 23, the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. Joseph could see that in his own life. That in all these twists and turns on the journey, where doubts arise and fears dismay, the Lord was with me. He did not abandon me. He stood with me. And so when Potiphar's wife, the original desperate housewife, came to Joseph, and you folks don't get out too much, do you? <laughs> and tempted him day after day, Remember what Joseph said. How could we do this great evil? We might get caught. How could we do this great evil? Your, your husband could be home any minute. How could we do this great evil and sin against God? He's been so good to me. He has been with me. He has blessed me and caused me to prosper. How could I do that to Him? He would be so disappointed in me. That's the journey we're on. And the Lord will be with us. Who here has ever taken a trip where everything went exactly the way you planned it out? I mean, not one flight delay, not one misconnection, not one lost reservation, not one flat tire, not one car broken down. We've all been there. And that's a metaphor for life. We have all these plans before us. And it doesn't work out that way. But the Lord is with us. How could we sin against Him when He's been so good to us? And the Lord was with Israel. And when it came time after the ten plagues to bring them out of Egypt, look at Exodus chapter 13. After the Passover feast, Exodus chapter 13, in verse 17, 
It came about when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although it was near, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. Hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the sons of Israel went up in martial array from the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God shall surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones from here with you. I wonder what it was like when Moses and his family were packing the chariot. All right, we got all the clothes? Check. Got all the livestock and food for them? Check. All right, we get the bones. Who loaded the bones up? Now, don't put those on the top because I don't want to have to unpack every time we stop to take the bones out. But somebody had to be in charge of those. You ever thought about that? Carrying those bones across the dry land as they went through the Red Sea. Carrying those bones to the foot of Mount Sinai when God met Israel and gave them the law. Carrying them through the 40 years of wilderness wandering. All through those twists and turns, fears and doubts and darts. But the Lord was with them. You have faith in your journey that the Lord is with you. I remember when I was in college, I prayed a prayer that God would perform surgery on the heart of a young girl so that she would feel the same way about me that I felt about her. And he said no. And I've thanked him for that. Because then I wouldn't have met Melissa and we wouldn't have Morgan and David. And I see the Lord was with me. He's watching from his throne. He sees from a perspective we cannot because he's got the higher ground. And He sees the twists and turns that come before we do. Do you have faith He's with you? He has a plan and purpose that's greater than ours. Are you going to submit to His? We're on a journey. And journeys have disappointments. Unexpected events that pop up. But we've got to believe God's with us. We're not going to abandon Him or shipwreck our faith because our life didn't go the way we thought it should. We're going to trust in Him because He's the one leading us on the journey. 
He's gone before us. The Lord is with you. He does not call us to be faithful when it's easy. Nor does He say, be faithful when it's convenient. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. We're not there yet, so we're going to choose to trust in Him who is leading us. Number three, this is a journey. Remember, it begins with uh, the end in mind, the aim of where we're going. And it's a journey that goes through doubts and fears along the way. But finally, it is a journey that ends on a tableland, a promised tableland which is to say there's nothing higher there's nothing greater we've we've reached the goal and now we'll be where we wanted to be when we began and that's what happened with Joseph's bones after those 40 years of wilderness wanderings they came to the Jordan River and somebody was carrying the bones because now they crossed the Jordan on dry ground and went about the land of Canaan driving out all those enemies of the people. And after five years of conquest, it came time to then apportion the people by tribe into the land. So now we come to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua 24. And look at verse 32. Now they buried the bones of Joseph which the sons of Israel brought up from Egypt, at Shechem, in the piece of ground which Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for 100 pieces of money, and they became the inheritance of Joseph's sons. So after that long journey that began 45 years ago when the exodus of Egypt occurred, these bones of Joseph have now been laid in their final resting place. The land sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Holy Spirit makes certain we know that they finally got where they were supposed to go. And they became the inheritance of his sons. Promised tableland, a resting place. 
that we can't see right now. There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we see it afar. But with these eyes, we, we can't see it. And so what we do then is just believe. If God has promised this, I believe. Even though I can't see it, I put my faith in Him. And now we see why the writer of Hebrews chose that event from the life of Joseph. See, it fits in with his point in the chapter. All these died without receiving the promises. But they still believed God would fulfill them. They couldn't see it with their eyes, but they trusted that God was in control. Think about it. Noah, when he built the ark, his eyes had never seen a flood like God said was coming. And so he built it by faith. Not blind faith, but faith in the unseen. Abraham, when he was going to offer his son Isaac, the son of promise, believed that God, who had the power to give him a son in his old age, could raise him from the dead. But at that time in biblical record, nobody had seen that happen. There had been no resurrection. But Abraham had faith, even though he hadn't seen it. God can do that. And so we place our faith that God will deliver us To a place where he's promised there won't be any tears or death or disease or crying or pain. We've only known a world filled with that. But we hadn't finished our journey yet. I never hated cancer as much as when it took the life of my dad. Oh, it had impacted the lives of other people, but then it became personal. Well, there won't be cancer in heaven. You go down to the medical center in Houston and there are specialty hospitals, MD Anderson for cancer and St. Luke's for heart. But the saddest one of all is Texas Children's. See all those little kids suffering. There won't be a Texas Children's in heaven. God's promise, He's going to wipe all that away. 
a journey that ends on a tableland. What could be better? What could be higher or greater? And yet how often people have quit their journey before they've reached the destination. Let us labor, therefore, to enter that rest. That doesn't mean that heaven's going to be a place of inactivity. You ever wondered, well, what are we going to do forever, sitting on a cloud, playing a harp? It means that we will finally have rest in God. Will that be enough for you? That's what He's always wanted. That's what He created us for. You ever wonder why He rested on the seventh day? Was it because God was worn out? He'd been working six days? No, He wanted to have rest with the last thing He created on day six, Adam and Eve, a day where they could rest with one another. And Adam and Eve said, we didn't want that rest. And so He offered it to the Israelites. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You don't have to think about work. You don't have to think about money for one day. Just rest in me and be thankful for the gifts I've given you. And they said, we don't want that. And So that's why Jesus said, Come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what's waiting for us. That's at the end of the journey. We can rest with Him. And with His own hand, He'll wipe away every tear from our eyes. I hope Hebrews eleven twenty two. Reads a little different to you now. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. One day Jesus will call all of those from the grave resurrection and we think about all those who've died who we'll see again but that also means those bones buried there in Shechem are going to be raised and put back together and now have their final destination where all of us can say we've reached the end. Heaven we found. Let's keep pressing on until we reach the highest ground. Thank you for listening.